history and our history. I need to mentally prepare myself for this. Yeah, say. Oh. Oh. Oh no. Breaking open those natties. Oh no. Oh. Natty disaster. We have a it's just spilled everywhere. We have a natty dis uh, a malfunction. Here. It's a it's a natural disaster. It is a natural disaster. Getting punny on us. Oh, we're gonna keep that. That this is all in, by the way. Beautiful. Yeah, I I can't wait to be done with this. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, let's just get right fucking into it, please. Make sure everything's good. Okay, here we go. Hey, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Mystery in History podcast, where we take an in-depth look at all things urban legend and conspiracy theory related and how they came to be. I'm J.R. Supa. That's Chris Berry. Let's start the episode because it's Flat Earth Part 4. We're getting punchy at this point, guys. Yeah, we're it's, we're done. We're this is it. <laughs> this is I'm done with this topic. Um, we will do a moon landing episode, but we are taking a break because it's not coming until later this year. Because I I can't do any more flat Earth right now. I need I need yeah. a break. Like I want to do some haunted houses or something so That's that fair. we can just take a break. Or legends uh, or something. Who knows? Yes, exactly. But we're back to conclude our Flat Earth series. That's right. It's the final episode on the topic. Because I refuse to let it go for as long as something as fun as aliens. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's fair. Because it's not even nearly as fun. No, so. F this. F, F this. F the Flat Earth people. F everything. For real. We left off on last episode with the form and magnitude section and discuss the multiple explanations that these delusional cultists have for things that clearly support round earth. This episode, we're going to wrap it up. Uh, we're going to wrap up their wiki and say goodbye to flat earth once and for all. That's right. We're going to put a lid on it. We don't need any more evidence to convert us into flat earthers because all the facts are here, guys. So just going to put a lid That's on it. That's right. After this episode, the, the 10 people that listen to this podcast will all be converted. That's right. So let's jump right in. Section six, the lunar eclipse. All right. <laughs> yes. Again, everything is taken right from the wiki. This is not the, the, this outline writes itself. It's copy paste. Yep. <laughs> they had their chance to defend themselves. Correct. All right. A solar eclipse occurs when the moon passes in front of the sun. A lunar eclipse occurs about twice a year when a satellite of the sun passes between the sun and the moon. I'm already confused. <laughs> the satellite is called the shadow object. Its orbital plane is tilted at an angle of about 5 degrees, 10 inches, 10 feet, 10, 10, uh, 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 what's the, the thing? Apostrophe, it's a, it's a, ten apostrophe. Yeah. Five degrees, Look. ten apostrophe to the sun's orbital plane. <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> making eclipses possible only when th the three bodies, sun, object, and moon, are aligned and when the moon is crossing the sun's orbital plane at the point called the node. Not to be confused with the chode, which is what all of these people are. <laughs> Within a given year, considering the orbitals of these celestial bodies, a maximum of three lunar eclipses can occur. Despite the fact that there are more solar than lunar eclipses each year, over time, many more lunar eclipses are seen at any single location on Earth than solar eclipses. This occurs because the lunar eclipse can be seen from the entire half of the Earth beneath the moon at the time, while a solar eclipse is visible only along a narrow path on the Earth's surface. Because if you remember, the sun is a flashlight that just goes like this. Right. Well, of course. I mean, I can't wait to hear how this relates to Flat Earth at all. And I'm sure this is some sort of like irrefutable science behind it. And if not, they'll make something up that says that they're right. So well, this, this, is, this is how it relates to Flat Earth. Because, see, on the Flat Earth, there's satellites. Even though there's satellites can't exist on a Flat Earth because satellites are in orbit. Right. But total lunar eclipses come in clusters chris did you know that no well th there can be two or three <laughs> during a period of a year or a half and a half or a year and a half sorry a half and a half <laughs> let's try that again there can be two or three during a period of a year or a year and a half followed by a lull of two or three years before another round begins when you add partial eclipses, there can be three in a calendar year, and again, it's quite possible to have none at all. All right, cool, cool, good. Mm -hmm. The shadow object is never seen because it orbits close to the sun, even though you can't orbit something flat. As the sun's powerful vertical rays hit the atmosphere during the day, they will scatter and blot out nearly every single star and celestial body in the sky. We are never given a glimpse of these celestial bodies, which appear near the sun during the day. They are completely washed out by the sun's light. Yeah, yep. Okay. Now, it is estimated that the shadow object is around 5 to 10 miles in diameter. Since it's somewhat close to the sun, the manifestation of its penumbra upon the moon appears as a magnified projection. This is similar to how during a shadow puppet show, your hand's shadow can make a large magnified projection upon your bedroom wall as you move it closer to the flashlight. Okay. Uh, Stupid. Yeah. This is... But, Dr. Samuel Burley Robotham, good old Sammy. Hard boy Sammy. Has provided equations for finding the time magnitude and duration of a lunar eclipse at the end of chapter 11 of earth's not a globe so yeah, pick up that book <laughs> yeah right and this is the guy that uses that very scientific method of the zetetic method yeah yeah the the whole god i don't even remember how how was that how does it go again it's basically just just believe it to be right and it's right if it's observable it's it has to be correct and creating a hypothesis would mean you're an idiot. That's, yeah, basically the gist of it. Mm -hmm. I, God, okay. <sighs> so that's how it works. Yeah. 
<laughs> Jesus, dude. There is also a possibility that the shadow object is a known celestial body which orbits the sun. So I guess the sun is round. I thought it was just a flashlight. Yeah, right. But more stu- but more study would be needed to track the positions of Mercury, Venus, and the sun's asteroid satellites and correlate them with the equations for the lunar eclipse before any conclusion could be drawn. The best part of this section might actually be the references they use to support their claims. Excuse me. Because all they're doing is referencing their own books. And that's like us having a podcast and arguing about aliens with someone else outside the cast and saying aliens exist because we said they do on episode two of the podcast. That's how it works. Yeah, I mean, good enough for me. I mean, we proved they exist in episode two. So, like it or not, it's fact. Deal with it, y'all. It's insane. <laughs> we said it's true. So Let's, let's move on. <laughs> Section seven. Gravity. Oh, boy. Yes. Gravity. The, the piece de resistance of flat Earth. <laughs> uh, the bread and butter, if you will. And most widely used debate by round earthers when shouting at brick wall that is a flat earther. And I use brick wall to describe both flat earthers' inability to change their mind and their IQs. Here is how the FES justifies gravity. <laughs> I'm sure this is a solid argument just, just by how you introduced it here. So It's wonderful. I'm ready. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now, the flat earth model, in the flat earth model, gravity rather than being a force, is the upward acceleration of the Earth. The Earth always accelerates upward at 1G, which is equivalent to the gravitational acceleration the round Earth model has. Like the force of gravity, the Earth's acceleration causes several commonly observed phenomena in our daily lives. Uh, Okay, so this is already, like, good. And by good, I mean bad. Yes. It's already just like <laughs> nonsense. Absolute I was, nonsense. I was going to say you pronounced ridiculous wrong. Yeah. <laughs> now, but if I recall correctly in a previous episode, we covered how the FES doesn't use this theory. Yet here it is in black and white on their wiki. So more contradictions. Go figure. No, that wiki is full of inconsistencies. Yeah. I mean, like, no wonder they won't get in touch with us because we're just going to beat them 10 feet under. So they – and I, I I have not found a way they, – they've embedded this picture in such a way that I can't actually, like, take it off the internet. Weird. So I'm still working on it. I don't know how I'm going to do it, but I'm still working on it. But if the quality sucks by the time we release this, it's because I just got fed up, took a picture of it with my phone, and then just edited it. <laughs> Beautiful. <laughs> I made you, I don't know, screenshot something. Yeah. No, but, please use your camera against the screen. Right? That's, that's better. But I'm going to try and explain universal acceleration with these two pictures. And hopefully I can rip them and, and I'll, it, it won't do it justice. The first picture is a stick figure and it looks like it's he's dropping a ball but he's in a rocket ship being propelled upward and then the next figure is that same person in just a square dropping the same ball (laughs) i don't know yeah i mean that's what it looks like (laughs) and then so 
then they go on to say the equivalence principle. Universal acceleration is a theory of gravity within the flat earth model. The traditional theory of gravity, e.g. Newton's law of universal gravitation, general theory of relativity, etc., is incompatible with the flat earth model because it requires a large spherical mass pulling objects uniformly towards its center. In other words, actual science. Rather than a downward pull to the, due to the presence of mass, the theory of universal acceleration asserts that the roughly disc-shaped Earth is accelerating upward at a constant rate of 1 g, or 9.8 meters a second squared. This produces the effect commonly referred to as gravity. Wow, dude. This is some gold material right here. Oh, yeah, baby. There are two universal acceleration models. The first model deals with the universal accelerator, which sits underneath the Earth and accelerates anything it touches. I guess okay. like a giant rocket ship dropped underneath flat Earth. Yeah, right? Like, yeah. The second model deals with dark energy, which accelerates all celestial bodies, including the Earth, in the universe. Modern astrophysics accounts that the expansion of the universe is due to dark energy. Okay, dark energy. That sounds made up. I mean, but this is also coming from the guy with an open mind on things. So, I don't know. Like, I've heard of dark energy before, but, like, it sounds made up in this aspect even. So, uh, like, even, <laughs> I guess the point I'm trying to convey is even this guy makes dark energy sound like bullshit. Like, right. Because I've heard some convincing things on, like, dark energy before. So. This this person can make Neil deGrasse Tyson sound like a moron just by taking one thing that Neil deGrasse Tyson can actually explain. Right. Dude, for <laughs> real. This guy is. It's awful. Yeah. But let's talk about the velocity of the Earth, shall we? <laughs> According to that special theory of relativity, the Earth can accelerate forever without reaching or passing the speed of light. Relative to an observer on Earth, the Earth's acceleration will always be 1g. Relative to an initial observer, or, I'm sorry, relative to an inertial observer in the universe, however, the Earth's acceleration decreases as its velocity approaches c. What is c? I don't know. It all depends on our frame of reference to measure and explain the Earth's motion. Thus, despite what most people think, there is no absolute speed or velocity of the Earth. But there's a question and answer section on a lot of these. And so going forward, Chris is going to take all the questions, and I'm going to take uh, the answers on behalf of the FES. So here <laughs> you go, Chris, first question. Right. Thank you, thank you. So doesn't this mean we'd be traveling faster than the speed of light, which is impossible? Answer. The equations of special relativity prevent an object from accelerating to the speed of light. Due to this restriction, these equations prove that the object can accelerate at a constant rate forever and ever and never reach the speed of light. Oh, is that so? Yes. <laughs> They've essentially reversed the mathematical equation that no matter how close two objects are, an infinite distance divides them. So have you ever seen that mathematical equation? Uh, I, got, I guess I, don't, I haven't, no. So essentially, I forget who came up with it, but essentially if you and I are, let's say, a mile apart, mm -hmm. 
if you cut that distance in half, now we're a half mile apart. Right. Right. Then we're cut that in half. Now we're a quarter mile apart. Right. Cut that in half. We're an eighth of a mile apart. Then a sixteenth of a mile. Then a thirty-second of a mile. So right. what they're saying is, is that you are technically infinitely <clears throat> separated because if you keep cutting it in half, you can cut it in half forever. I see. So what they've done is they've reversed it. Take it back, flip it, and reverse it like Missy Elliott. And <laughs> and it's you can just constantly accelerate and never hit the speed of light. I see. That's actually Weird. pretty clever on their part. Of all yeah, the stupid I... shit that they do, that's a pretty clever thing that they came up with. Yeah. It's not the worst. Right. So let's talk about the free-falling object. Okay. All right. Assuming there is no drag, except for the fact that this topic is a drag, an object leaving the Earth's surface will undergo inertial motion until the accelerating Earth catches it. In our frame of reference, the object looks as if it is falling to the ground. Technically, in such a reference frame, we can never tell whether the Earth is accelerating towards the object or the object is accelerating towards the Earth. However, one thing is certain, according to them. The object appears to be accelerating relative to us non-inertial observers. I guess, but then airplanes would have to constantly accelerate upwards, right? Mm-hmm. And like the whole point of something that is flying is like it, it like once it accelerates, it becomes airborne negates the effect of gravity right that that's lift essentially that's the equation right yeah exactly so if earth was constantly moving up then planes would have to constantly accelerate upwards like lift wouldn't exist right but i don't know this this theory feels very dumb already it's a conspiracy by nasa oh right yeah you're right (laughs) when in doubt blame nasa yeah all right so let's talk about their defense Something that really could only take place on a spherical Earth, right? Tidal (laughs) effects. Okay. Okay. In the flat Earth universe, gravitation, not gravity, gravitation, exists in other celestial bodies. The gravitational pull of the stars, for example, causes observable tidal effects on Earth. I guess it's not the moon. Now we have a bunch of questions again that are coming throughout this. So Chris is going to take it away here. All right, so question. Why does gravity vary with altitude? Answer, Chris. The moon and stars have a slight gravitational pull. That's it. Sure. Yeah. Oh, okay. Just easily answer that one away. Check and mate on us. Yeah, fuck you guys. (laughs) (laughs) Terminal velocity. I like terminal velocity. In the round Earth model, terminal velocity happens when the acceleration due to gravity is equal to the acceleration due to drag like you would see in any science class when you're in high school ever. Mm -hmm. In the flat Earth model, however, there are no balanced forces. Terminal velocity happens when the upward acceleration of the person is equal to the upward acceleration of the Earth. Chris? All right. So question, if gravity does not exist, how does terminal velocity work? Well, I would like to tell you, Chris. When the acceleration of the person is equal to the acceleration of the Earth, the person has reached terminal velocity. So fuck you. Yeah, okay, I guess I'm an idiot. (laughs) Aeronautics. All right. 
the lift force accelerates the plane up relative to the acceleration of the Earth. Huh? Huh? When the upward acceleration of the plane equals to the acceleration of the Earth, the plane can maintain the altitude. See, that answers your question. I mean, my blood boils after hearing that. (laughs) But, I mean... Anyway, the next stupid question is, uh, isn't this version of gravity flawed? When it planes slash helicopters slash paragliders crash into the Earth as the Earth rises up to them? Answer. No. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, move on, because that's all you need. There's more. (laughs) By the same argument, we could ask why planes, helicopters, paragliders don't crash into the Earth as they accelerate downwards towards it. The reason why planes do not crash is that their wings produce lift, which, when their rate of upward acceleration equals that of gravity's pull downwards, causes them to remain at constant altitude. Huh? That, that doesn't I'm even make isolate sense, that again. though. <laughs> like... <laughs> I can't wait. You give me such good sound bites when you get confused and upset. The thing with the... <laughs> The thing with these guys, they they just make shit up that fit their narrative, and it's so annoying. It's just like it's so frustrating. Yeah, like disregard facts, use unproven theories, and that's all flat Earth has. Yeah, pretty much. Oh my god! Now the same thing happens if the Earth is moving up. The plane is accelerating upwards at the same rate as the Earth, which means the distance between them does not change. Therefore, the plane stays at the same height and does not crash. Okay, that's laughably pathetic. You're right. <sighs> but we have other FAQs, so Chris, take it away. Oh, I'm ready. Okay, question. If the world was really flat, what would happen if you jump off the disc's edge? Answer number one. Because there are okay. two freaking <laughs> answers. Sure. In the general model, you would become directly affected by dark energy as the Earth is creating the illusion that you are standing next to the Earth. Yeah. Okay. I guess in other words, if you walked off the side of the Earth, <laughs> because dark energy is dark energy is essentially the rocket that is propelling propelling Earth forever upward. So if yeah. you stepped off the Earth, you would be stepping onto dark energy, which would then begin to propel you infinitely upward. Or, answer number two, in Mr. McIntyre's model, you would enter an inertial reference frame, traveling at a constant velocity relative to Earth. In your point of view, it appears that you are falling into space. Right. Right because the earth is moving upwards and it's fake gravity gotcha yes all right anyway next question <laughs> if the earth was indeed a flat disc would the whole planet crunch up into itself and eventually transform into a ball that's a good question chris mm. the answer is if the earth generated a gravitational field it would eventually happen of course it would take a billion years for the process to complete flat earth assumes that the earth does not generate a gravitational field what we know as gravity is provided by the acceleration of the Earth. Okay, right. And the Earth is only like 2,019 years old, according to these guys, probably. <laughs> so, on to the next question. <laughs> um, how does the Earth not have a gravitational pull, but the stars and the moon do? That is a great question, Chris. 
The answer is this argument is non sequitur. You might as well ask, how is it that snakes do not have legs but dogs and cats do? Snakes are not dogs or cats. The earth is not a star or the moon. It does not follow that each must have exactly the properties of the others and no more. <laughs> so they, they literally... <laughs> they can't answer it and then they just point to other natural nominalities and they're just like they're just like well what's that huh <laughs> that's just fucking rich you know what that reminds me of what you remember joe dirt why is the yeah. sky blue why is the grass green yeah that's exactly it it's just like i don't have an answer but why are these these huh answer those guy it's just like what oh god wow dude that's so uh, isn't that great that's so I can't believe someone who actually takes themselves seriously actually use that as an answer. Oh, Just yeah. like I can't explain it. You explain other things that we can't explain then. Oh, like, oh man, anyway. Jesus Christ. Moving on to section eight. The motive for the conspiracy, you may recall, was covered in the last episode, so we will be skipping over this one. Yeah, I mean, please, we have to skip it. It got, it, it got me way too worked up last episode, so we just have to skip that. <laughs> god, the whole I know if it's a oh my god, I don't I even, just don't. Yeah. It's not worth it. Yeah. <laughs> Section nine, the cosmos. Oh, fun. Okay. Remember last episode when we were wondering how these guys were going to explain space and everything out there? Well, this section contains pages dealing with events and bodies which exist above the atmosphere. Ah, uh, don't it's a it's an atmo layer. I'm sorry, you're right, Chris. The atmo <laughs> layer of the earth. <laughs> oh my God, they can't even get their own terminology. I know. It's, I, it's copy paste. They put atmosphere. <laughs> Man, that's so bad. <laughs> like I I I have to fix it for you guys, and I don't even believe in it. I know. Guys, just just bad. out of pure like. I'm just being nice. <laughs> All right. Check, 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 check it out. The sun. The sun is a sphere. Okay. It has a diameter of 32 miles and is located <laughs> approximately 3,000 miles above the surface of the earth. I'm already shocked at how stupid this is, but I'm all ears. Okay. Let's talk about the spotlight effect. Okay. The sun's area of light is limited to a circular area of light upon the Earth, much like the light of a lighthouse is limited to a finite circular area around it. The rotating light on a lighthouse does not propagate infinitely into the distance. This means that only certain portions of the Earth are lit at a time. It also describes how night and day arise on the flat Earth. The apparent view of the rising and setting are caused by perspective, just as a flock of birds overhead will descend into the horizon as it flies into the distance. Yep, and of course that would prove no other theory correct. So, I'll just let them. I'll just let them continue at this point. <laughs> now there are oh other God. subtopics on the sun in this tab, but the one I wanted to share with all of you was the distance to the sun. On March 21st to 22nd, the sun is directly overhead at the equator and appears 45 degrees above the horizon at 45 degrees north and south latitude. 
as the angle of the sun above the earth at the equator is 90 degrees, while it is 45 degrees at 45 degrees north or south latitude, it follows that the angle of the sun between the vertical from the horizon and the line from the observers at 45 degrees north and south must also be 45 degrees. The result is two right-angled triangles with legs of equal length. The distance between the equator and the points at 45 degrees north or south is approximately 3,000 miles. Ergo, the sun would be an equal distance above the equator. 30,000 miles and not 90 million. I mean, that just blows my mind. It's just crazy and stupid. Yeah. That is, by the way, that is miles. a difference and error of 90 million miles. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> oh, man. Like, it's so bad. Uh, well, it's so bad. If you thought that was bad, let's talk about the moon. <laughs> no. All right. Yep. This literally just takes us back to section six and the lunar eclipse. But before that, we are given these words of wisdom. The moon is a sphere and it has a diameter of 32 miles and is located approximately 3,000 miles above the Earth's surface. Dude, what? <laughs> so they're just saying it's the same as the sun? It's the same distance and same <laughs> diameter away? <laughs> <laughs> that doesn't what yeah. so it's just the same thing but it's, yeah. it's the moon and not the sun no it's the same cool two different, two different celestial objects cool sick fun awesome jesus christ oh baby yeah well that's okay let's get into the planets okay okay rotundity chris take it away with the question all right, so question, if the planets are round, why isn't the Earth? Answer, the Earth isn't a planet. <laughs> oh, what? Yeah, what? Okay. Fuck you, So Chris. it's just the only one that's not a planet. Yeah. Fuck you. Yeah. Fuck you. That's, uh, okay, weird. Okay, next question. Yeah. How Moving on to size are... and magnitude. Oh, you're right. You're right. Yeah, sorry. Uh, yeah. Question, how big are the planets in the flat Earth model? Answer. Pretty small. How small? It, like, as small as these answers, apparently. Like, yeah, like they just don't want to truth hold themselves, I guess. So they just, they just pretty, do pretty this. Pretty small. It's just pretty, pretty small. small. Pretty They're small. They're just pretty small. Yeah. Hey. But let's move on to the solar system, shall we, Chris? <sighs> I'm, just, I'm just trying to think, man. You're just stuck like, on the last one. I am, because I just feel like that's just something I would write, like, if pretty I small. was just... Pretty small. Yeah. It's, it's probably as, as small as you dick. No, How it's pretty small. small. It's pretty small. Pretty small. Jesus Christ. Anyway, sorry. I, it's okay. I digress. All right. Take it away. Solar system, baby. Solar system. Okay, question. Uh, what does the solar system look like in the flat Earth? Oh, theory? well, here's your answer. In flat Earth theory, the planets are revolving around the sun, while the sun itself revolves around the northern hub sure i mean i'd love to see a model of this because it doesn't even make sense to me essentially so. the sun revolves around the north pole 
mm-hmm. that's because the Earth is a disk and the North Pole is in the center of the disk. Right. Right. So the sun revolves around the North Pole, and that's how the light goes around the Earth. Right. And then the planets, the planets all revolve around, around the sun. Which is why, because the sun is only 32 miles in diameter, the planets are pretty small. Pretty small. Yeah. Yeah. No, I guess they would have to be, right? Mm-hmm. So how about retrograde motion, Chris? Do you have any questions on that? Yeah. Question. Uh, why do the planets retrograde in the sky? Well, that's a great question. Here's your answer. Retrograde motion occurs from the fact that the planets are revolving around the sun while the sun itself moves around the hub of the Earth. This particular path the planets take makes it appear as if several of them make a loop along their journeys across the sky. This is just starting to get confusing again. Well, if you would please note, the planets are moving very slowly around the sun because they're pretty small. Be implied. (laughs) <laughs> and would not retrograde several times a day, as might be implied by the above diagram, which I don't have because the diagram is for illustration purposes only, and they didn't actually put it in the page. But several retrogrades a year would be more appropriate depending on the planet. The retrograde happens very slowly because they're pretty small in the night sky over a long period of time. They're just stumbling all over themselves now, aren't they? Yes, Chris. Yes, they are. <laughs> yes, they are. You're, <laughs> you're right. Uh, oh, but I want to talk about the stars. Okay, let's talk about the stars. Yes. See, the sun, the moon, and the stars are all rotating around a central point over the North Pole. The underlying cause for this rotation is due to the vast cornucopia of stellar systems orbiting around its center of attraction. In other words, the Earth is the center of the universe, an imaginary point of shared attraction. This is extrapolated and a more complex binary star movement. Think of a binary star system, which moves around an invisible common barycenter. Now add a third body, which shares that common center of attraction. Now a fourth. When we add enough bodies, the system looks like a swirling multiple system. Man, I'm just having, like, the hardest time visualizing any of this. That's because it's designed to confuse you. That's fair. It's working. If you're confused, you can't argue them. Yeah. Yeah, I guess there's some truth to that. Mm -hmm. That's the mind games, Chris. (laughs) Now, the stars in the night sky rotate around common berry centers above the Earth just as the sun and the moon do. From a location on the Earth's surface, the stars in the night sky might seem to scroll across the night sky with Polaris at the hub. The underlying cause for this rotation is due to a vast cornucopia of stellar systems orbiting around its center of mass. Boy, they are repetitive. An imaginary mm-hmm. point completely compliant with the Newtonian system. <laughs> so fuck you, Newton. Right. This is an extrapolated and more complex binary star movement. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) Now, each star in a cluster is attracted to one another through gravitational vectors. Formation is created through gravitational capture. At least three objects are actually required, as conservation of energy rules out a single gravitating body capturing another. 
The stars maintain their movement over the years through Newton's first law, which shouldn't exist because gravity. An object at rest tends to stay at rest, and an object in motion tends to stay in motion with the same speed and the same direction unless acted upon by an unbalanced force. So Newton is an asshole when it suits them. Yeah, so but, the question becomes, they believe in gravity in the traditional sense, but only when not dealing with Earth? It's Newton is a hack when it suits them, but when they need to make a point, Newton is a very smart man. What the fuck? Yes. Now, the stars in the night sky trace almost perfect circles around the hub of the Earth because... By necessity, the mechanics of a multiple system rely in intimately on the movements and vectors of every member body. Circular movement is the most perfect, stable movement. If one celestial body is out of place or moves in a different fashion than the other bodies of a group, the entire system becomes inherently imbalanced. Eddies, or stars that move out of tandem, will either leave the system entirely or are compelled by the stellar system to move back into its locked place and apogee. This is why there are no elliptical orbits, which we know is false, because everything orbits in an ellipsis. <laughs> there is nothing to back these claims either. It's just so crazy. Mm -hmm. It's just like, <laughs> it's this because I pulled it out of my ass, and you have to believe it. Just... Well, instability can be avoided, Chris. If the system is what astronomer David S. Evans called hierarchical, hi, hi, hierarchical, hierarchical, and a hierarchy eel, hierarchical. <laughs> in a hierarchical system, I don't want to keep saying this word, the stars <laughs> in the system can be divided into sm two smaller groups, each of which traverses a larger orbit around the system's center of mass. Each of these smaller groups must also be hierarchical which means they must be divided into smaller subgroups which themselves are hierarchical and so on in this case the star's motion will continue to approximately well what in this case the star's motion will continue to approximate stable non-elliptical keplerian orbits around the system's center mass yeah okay david Buddy, just just because you say it doesn't mean it matters or even really <laughs> makes sense, pal. So, I love how the tables have turned in this, and that you are the one that's finally just getting so upset at everything that's happening. Oh, dude, it's just like because <laughs> they, they just say things, and they're just like, it doesn't matter if it make doesn't make sense. Just doesn't matter. It. Yep. Literally, their motto should just be "fuck you" because we yeah. said so. It's true because we believe it. Yep. It's well, just so. If you found any of this fascinating so far, let's talk about astrophysics. Okay. Are you ready? Are you ready, Chris? <laughs> no, I'm yeah. not. I'm not ready ever. Universal acceleration. In the universal acceleration model, all the celestial bodies, including the Earth, are being accelerated in one uniform direction at roughly 9.81 meters per second squared the proposed method of propulsion is dark energy okay 
In a previous episode, we briefly discussed that this model isn't even accepted by the FES, so I have no idea why the hell they have it on their wiki twice. <laughs> but then again, why should we be surprised at anything by at this point? I mean, I'm definitely not. I like how they keep pulling proven science to back up their claim that doesn't use science. So it's awesome. <sighs> Nexus rings. The elliptical orbits observed by astrophysicists on Earth are caused by planets moving along transparent magnetic nexus rings. All significant celestial objects move along individual nexus rings. In addition, smaller objects, such as asteroids, may be slightly influenced by the pull of nexus rings. Nexus rings exert a small force on each other. But because of the vast amount of nexus rings in the universe, the net force on each nexus ring is ne negligible. Cool. Good. <laughs> that was just a whole lot of nothing to me, so... Yeah, pretty much. Um, although everything flat Earth is a whole lot of nothing. But next yeah. up, we have a section called The Burden of Proof. One last reminder, this is taken straight out of wiki. And I will read it all verbatim. Yeah, and I'm going to pick up the question parts again here. Mm -hmm. So first question is, isn't the burden of proof on you, the flat earther, to prove it? Answer, Chris. No. <laughs> you're the one claiming that nasa can send men to the moon robots to mars and spaceships to the solar system we're not claiming those things oh uh, okay fuck me then that's right because a fundamental tenant to the zetetic philosophy is to search or examine to proceed only by inquiry to take nothing for granted but to trace phenomena to their immediate and demonstrable causes Zeteticism is a philosophy of skepticism against the fantastic and unobservable. Uh, I get that, but you can't just take things that are proven and say it's wrong because you use a zetetic method of science. Like, I, I, it's just like, that's the same as making a claim as like, since my neck, wrist, and thumb have a pulse, there must be a little heart in all of those areas. And I'm right, because I'm not claiming that there's only one heart it's just it's just plain stupid it just doesn't make any sense look I... chris chris you're <laughs> the one making all of these fantastical claims you're the one claiming that spaceships exist government contractors can land a man on the moon and send robots to mars and that we can do all of these amazing never before done things <laughs> but i'm not it's so irritating this is just on the lines of me saying like Pizza is a vegetable because sauce is a tomato. And if you say I'm wrong, you're actually the one that's wrong because you're the one who says ice cream is a fruit. It just makes zero logical sense at this Look, point. Chris, Chris, you're not, you're, you just don't get it, okay? The burden is on you to prove these things to us. You're the one making the claim. The simplest explanation is that NASA really can't do all that stuff. I'm just exhausted now, so no. See, if two people are having a debate, Chris... Should the burden of proof rest on the shoulders of the person who can make the most complicated claim? Or should the burden of proof rest on the shoulders of the person who makes the simplest and easily observable claim? I mean, legally, it's on the accuser, the flat earther. NASA says the earth is round and is given the proof. And if you say it's wrong and provide, it's, like, provide nothing, 
So, like, you lose. All right, well, Chris, let Good me day, put it to you this way. Let me put it to you this way, okay? Okay. In a discussion on the existence of ghosts, should the burden of proof be on the group mumbling just because you can't see something doesn't mean it doesn't exist, or should the burden of proof be on skeptics to prove that ghosts don't exist? <laughs> it's on the mumblers. You have to prove they exist. And I will, like, I'll believe you. Because so far, nobody has been able to prove ghosts exist. It's it's simple, really. Exactly. So now you're a flat earther. Here's another example. A company called Molar International claims to have invented a flying car with the safety comparable to land to a land vehicle, an outstanding performance of 400-mile range, a sophisticated, never-before-seen computer control. They claim, without evidence... That the sky car is working and ready to be mass produced if only they got a few more big investments. Should the burden of proof be on the Mueller proponents who are absolutely certain that all of Mueller's claims are true? Or should the burden of proof be on everyone else to prove that Mueller's claims are not true? The burden of proof is always on the claimant and never on the skeptic. The burden of proof, Chris, is on you. JR, I'm just so done with this subject. I'm irritated with this, like, whole end part basically saying, like, like I can't be wrong because you haven't proven me wrong with things I want to hear, so it's still on you to prove me wrong further, therefore I'm right. It's just, like, it's the equivalent of the that kind of person who's just, like, the louder I yell, the more right I am, and it's just, it's too much at this point. I just... Oh. That okay, so that last section, it wasn't in um, the main part, right? If you will, okay, of their wiki, it was in like an additional, like, click these links if you want to know more, sort of thing. And as I was going through them, it was so ridiculous that I had to add it, and I knew, yeah. I knew it was going to piss everyone that listened to it off, dude. That's that's so hard to hear, that's so hard to hear. Yeah. I mean, of all the things that we have covered in these four episodes, I think this is literally the most frustrating of any of these flat earth cultists have said. Yeah. Like, seriously, it's the most ass backwards thing on the spherical planet of Earth. (laughs) But there is no point in ranting or in arguing because (laughs) these people are completely insane. And you can't fix stupid. I hope they all stop drinking the Kool-Aid figuratively. And I really hope they start drinking it literally. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, I just I just want this to be done. And, like, the reason is, is, like, I hate this whole regioning and logic because it's neither from them. I know. But, like, we just wanted to leave you guys with a bad taste in your mouth. Because that's all for Flat Earth. Thank God. It's done. Thank God. Just be done with it. Oh, yeah. We're done. That's it. Fuck Flat Earth. Yeah. If you have any urban legends or conspiracy theories that you think we should cover, feel free to email us at the number four guys media network at gmail.com. Please make sure to like and subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Click the like and subscribe icons on YouTube on the four guys media network page. Or check us out on SoundCloud by searching M-I-O-H pod, all one word. Thanks for listening. We will see you next time on the Mystery in Our History podcast. Bye.
Goodbye. Goodbye. That's my final word. That's my final word on Flatter. We'll get to that.